this episode has been sponsored by our lovely friend Atalaya, the owner of Hair by a Blonde. Make sure you follow her at Hair by a Blonde on Instagram and on Facebook. This is your host, Jasmine Luchis, and you're now listening to Hepa Talk Season 3. Hola, Hepitas. Welcome back to Hepa Talk. This is our episode 8, which I'm super excited about because I actually have a very good friend of mine today, and I cannot wait until you guys get to hear her story. Um, it's actually very... Um, emotional because we actually connected because of this podcast so i'm so excited to have you on i'm so excited to hear your story and give you a safe space so that everybody gets to know you and see what you're all about so i'm gonna go ahead and let her introduce herself first of all gracias 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 um for allowing me and inviting me to this wonderful space And like you mentioned, you know, this is something that was part of my healing journey. And now I'm here to share my healing journey with everyone. Which is, which is so awesome because eventually that's what I want to do is like have people on that, you know, have heard the podcast that are like, you know what, I, I connect with that person. I also understand that person. So to have you on and to see that. You know, you started off listening to me. Full circle, full circle, yeah. full circle. We're here, full circle. So, um, yo soy Cynthia Flores Vios, ¿verdad? Porque pues hay que llevar el apellido de la esposa, ya sabes, ¿verdad? <laughs> But um, I am currently a woman of many hats, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Este, and right now I'm just, a woman in, on her healing journey, really, and truly. And the fact that I'm able to share this experience, life experience, life-altering experience, mo most importantly, because this is something that for us women, especially in our culture, in nuestra cultura, más que nada, somos de las que de eso no se habla. No, 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 no. No digas que te sientes así porque te van a quitar a los niños. ¿Sabes qué? No. Vete a dormir, tómate una aspirina, tómate un chaleno y se te quita. You know, mental health is huge. And in our culture, we don't talk about it porque it's more of put your big girl panties on y vámonos, you know. Enséñales a todos que tú puedes. Este, no, hay, no hay por qué decir que tienes eso. Show them you're strong even though you're not. Era lo que a mí me inculcaron. O sea, mi papá. Aunque tengas miedo, no demuestres que tengas miedo. Aunque tengas, si te duele algo, no digas que no te duele nada. No digas que no te duele nada. Or, it was always that, right? Like, so, after having Ruby, my daughter, I was like, whoa, Pandora's box opened. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, holy shit. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Here I am having a daughter and in the midst of a pandemic sola en una ciudad donde no conozco a nadie más que a mi esposo no tengo familia y es aquí estoy 
I I think all of us can sometimes relate to things like that, especially, um, you know, us women that have either had miscarriages or, you know, have come from child trauma. Like, motherhood brings up so many emotions and so many triggers. Um, and just to go back a little bit into, like, um, your triggers and traumas, like, take me back to little baby Cynthia. Híjole. Okay. Embrace yourself. Not the grass. <laughs> well, I was born and raised in a small little town. You blink, you miss it. Plainview, Texas, between the Texas Panhandle, um, Amarillo, Lubbock area. And in that small town, um, I went to a school where it was all white. And... There, era la única mexicana, right? Este, my last name was Flores. It wasn't, you know, a white name. And I was treated very differently, extremely differently. Um, and I knew it, you know, I knew it. And especially, and I'm never going to forget this, um, I would get suspended because I spoke Spanish. Then, um, according to the teachers, I was being defiant. And so I would be sent to the office and they would call my parents, come pick her up because she's speaking Spanish. She's not supposed to speak Spanish. Um, in class, when all the other kids, you know, were moving on in kinder, you know, writing their names, writing, you know, sentences, what have you and whatnot. A mí, la maestra me sacaba un lado and she would tell me, no, 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 Cynthia, you're not ready for that. And she would give me templates, pages of the letters that would, you know, you, you had to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And I remember very vividly saying, what do you mean I'm not ready? I can write your name and I can write his name too and I can write my name too. Go to the office, you're being defiant. And I remember thinking to myself, how am I being defiant? Because I look different because yo hablo español y valgo más, por, you know, más que una persona porque tú nada más hablas inglés. And go to the office. Llegaba mi papá lleno de cemento o llegaba uno de mis hermanos con you know, cemento porque ellos trabajaban en el cemento. Mi mamá trabajaba en un restaurante en ese tiempo y pues ella no podía salir. Llegaban y llegaban. Oh, ¿y ahora qué? Es que la chingada maestra me dijo que me fuera a la oficina. And, you know, it was more of maldicientos y esto. Para mí eso era normal, era lo que yo escuchaba con mi papá. Chingado, you know, you name it. So, me acuerdo bien que pensé entre mí misma a esa edad. Yo tenía cinco años. Y dije, cuando yo sea grande, yo no voy a dejar que nadie me diga, tú no vales, tú no eres nada, porque hablas español. Les voy a enseñar. I, I, think, I think most of us that um, grew up with um, Spanish being the first language, I definitely think we can relate because I struggled with that because obviously my grandparents raised me and they only spoke Spanish. So I, I can't even imagine. And then being here in Texas, I have noticed that 
it was actually worse for you guys because at least us in in los angeles there's so many hispanics and you're just used to talking spanish freely and it's not a, a big problem but i have spoken to many people where here in texas it was like you guys were punished for it and even to where now some don't even really speak spanish because their grandparents yeah are like, they're no, afraid mm-hmm. no i don't want you to get treated differently so a lot of Hispanics have lost that here. Now, because you were in a school where um, teachers would treat you that way, did that kind of push you into, um, like, did that fuel you to do anything, to change anything as you grew up? Honestly, those moments of in my life became the fuel of my fire as I got older. Um, especially when the teacher told me, you will never mount to be anything because you speak Spanish. I took those words and como quien dice los metí en una cajita and I was like, oh yeah, watch me. And you know, when we weren't, when I wasn't in school, I was out working with my dad and my brothers. Ellos tenían cemento, you know, so I would go work with them. And then in the summers, we would go work in the fields. So, trabajaba en el pepino a los cuatro años. Me acuerdo que andábamos piscando pepino y... El sol estaba todo lo que da ahorita, ya no se siente tanto, pero en aquellos años, I remember it was so hot, I had blistered hands, blistered hands, and I would tell my mom, mom, yo no quiero estar aquí, y mi mamá me decía, pues entonces prométame que se va a educar y no va a seguir haciendo esto, prométame que va a ir a la escuela, se va a educar, va a, va a ir al colegio, y no vas a tener que hacer este trabajo. And I had to be the example for the rest of my family because nobody in my family finished school. Nobody in my family even went to college. Nobody in my family, you know, got further than, you know, just go and work. You know, you're the family, the family um, business, como quien dice, era cemento, you know, for my dad. On my mom's side, it was work in the fields and that's what I had to do. Era lo que yo crecí. So, yo nunca le tuve miedo a trabajar. I was never afraid to work hard because that was a moral that was instilled in me since very, very, very early on. And so, with that being said, those words would were my fire because I was like, oh, I'm going to work even harder to prove to you and to everybody who thinks just like you that I'm not going to be nobody. I am going to be somebody, and you'll see. How turning that fuel um, into, you know, your fire and and really trying to show everybody, like, no, I'm not going to, you know, be stuck being this stereotypical um, statistic for you. What what is it that um, changed from then? Like, 
once you went into school and stuff, um, because you were the first one to graduate, what was your game plan after that? That was the hardest one. I felt like I was running around like a chicken without a head because nobody in my family had ever done it. And I was having to pave roads that were never there before. Um, it wasn't easy for me to go to a family member and say, hey, you know, how do I apply for a scholarship? How do I submit this application? How do I do this? How do because nobody knew. All they knew was we're going to work hard and that's, that's what it's going to be. And I had to ask a lot for help. I had to swallow my pride. And when I say that, I mean it because let me tell you that being an individual with an ego, no te abre las puertas. And so I had to learn how to silence my pride so that I can ask for help and get my answers and be able to build that road that I needed to and get to where I needed to be. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew I needed to get somewhere. So being that you were the first one to go to college and things like that, take me back to like high school. Was it hard, like you said, applying for college, applying for scholarships and things like that? So who really helped you during that time? So flashback to uh, high school, um, we had already moved out of you know our small little town, Plainview. We had moved down to the valley. And if you don't know, the valley is the southernmost tip of Texas, right? You know, by the border. And um, while I was there... I was put in special classes because I could speak Spanish, but I didn't know how to write it. So ahora estamos trabajando al revés, ¿verdad? Yeah. And so I was, I finally felt like, oh man, there's all these people that look like me and speak like Spanish you. like me. This is awesome. And so I work, I, I, my work ethic continued, right? Um, however, one of the things that I didn't know back then that I know now is that when you are bilingual, people would always ask me, what was your first language? I can't tell you because I grew up speaking both. Yeah. And at that moment in time as a child, like most of us, we were our parents' interpreters, right? So we were parents' interpreters. And I say interpreters because we had to speak for them. We were their voice. And in many cases, we had to be the translators meaning we had to write whatever they needed to say. And so my life, my education in high school, that's how it was. I had to be the interpreter, be the translator for my mom um, so that she could work. I, were, I would take extra classes. Um, I was involved in sports. And I graduated early. I graduated at 16. And so I remember going to the counselor's office and saying, I'm going about to graduate. But what do I do now? My parents don't know anything about college. I know that there's a college counselor. Um, tell me, what do I need to do? So she helped me uh, fill out all those, you know, forms and FAFSAs and financial aid and scholarships and 
you name it. And then I got a full ride scholarship to go to St. Louis, Madrid in Spain. Full ride. Full ride. Todo pagado. Ya nada más de que I had to just get a passport and, you know, just get my, you know, happy on ass over there, right? Y nada. Because, again, in our culture, la mujer es para trabajar y estar en la casa, tener los hijos, right? Y tú no, and I was the youngest. I'm, I am the youngest. Tú no te vas de la casa hasta que no te cases. I wasn't allowed to go. Just to just to touch on that up just a little bit, I can't even begin to imagine how your parents were feeling. I mean, not to take away from them, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, because I'm sure they were super proud. But because you graduated so early, which is awesome, I can just imagine their fear of like, okay, she's becoming more than what I am. Yeah, and I'm scared to see her grow and be something that I don't know what the outcome is going to be. So just 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 kind of add that on there, but I I can't even imagine now looking back on that being able to be like I had a full ride what my life could have been like if I would have just gone. So what what do you feel when you think back on that? You know, a lot of the times I thought about that este pero la verdad I learned that things happen for a reason. And if that opportunity presented itself, what were the odds that I wasn't going to get another opportunity? Um, I knew my work ethic. I knew how hungry I was to learn. I would get another opportunity. When? I didn't know. But... I knew that I could work hard and that was something that I was like, you know what, mom, that no hay problema. Papá, usted no quiere que vaya, me quedo, me quedo en la universidad aquí cerca para que me vean. Y so, in my mind, yo siempre fui una abogada sin título, ¿verdad? <laughs> ¿Qué latina no te va a decir que es una abogada sin título? Y eso es lo que yo quería hacer. Yo quería ser abogada. Y es lo que yo quería hacer. Entonces, I started at South Texas College. No, miento. Let me go back. I went to um, University of Texas Pan American. Este, known then, now as UTRGV. But back in the day, it was uh, university, uh, UTPA. And then I transferred to STC, to South Texas College in McAllen. And they had a program for paralegals. And I was like, hmm. And I remember the advisor told me, hey, you know what? This could be a stepping stone into, you know, what you would eventually want to be is go to law school. Okay, that bueno. So I took the courses and I was like, okay. So basically I'm going to be the attorney's um, gopher, right? I'm going to be doing all the work and they're going to take the credit. Nobody, this is not what I want. But okay, you know what? I'll finish it. And then at the end of the semester or at the end of the, the, the degree itself, you have to do so many hours um, as your practicum. And I remember that my professor asked me, hey, there is a position, um, not necessarily a position, but there is a internship at the courthouse. And I think you would be a great fit for it. And I thought, 
Okay. If you feel that and you see the potential in me, dale, let's go. So I started an internship at the courthouse. Crazy, right? Here you have the little girl who was told you're never going to amount to be anything because you speak Spanish, getting an internship at the courthouse, right? Full circle, right? So, todavía falta ir, te digo. Entro, and I started, and the court staff was amazing, amazing. And um, I remember that the judge was like, hey, so, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be, I would like to be an attorney. Okay. He said, okay, perfect. You'll see everything through my eyes. I was like, all right. And so I remember that um, it was one morning, there, there was a, a full docket. And I was able to sit in the court hearings and they had an interpreter. I didn't know that Spanish could take you to other levels in the judicial system. That's where I learned another hat, right? And that's where I was like, okay, this is my interpreter hat. Este, and the judge tells um, one of the defendants, you know, I'm going to give you X amount of months for probation, X, Y, and Z, right? So then the interpreter at the time turns around and tells the defendant, le dijo que le van a dar probation. And in my head, I thought I was thinking to myself, but I really wasn't. I actually said it out loud and I didn't realize it. And I said out loud, I was like, that's not how you say it. <laughs> so the judge says off the, off the records and everything, you know, se para. Se paraliza. When a judge says, off the record, se paraliza todo. Literally, nobody speaks. You can hear a pin needle drop. And he turns around and he tells me, Littlefoot, that's not how you say it? He would call me Littlefoot because I have a tiny foot. <laughs> so they, hasta la fecha, they call me Littlefoot, right? Este, he told me, that's not how you say it? I said, no, no, judge, that's not how you say it. Well, how do you say it? Le van a dar seis meses de libertad. A prueba. And then he looks at me and he sits back in his chair on the bench and he says, you know what? Get in there and show this numbnuts how it's done. I was like, what? <laughs> Isn't it crazy when you think about it back then, like how says something so simple, you're blurring that out, put you in a position where you're like, wait, I, I can use my Spanish to not only help other people, but it's going to take me further in my career. So take me a little bit about how that process was for you. Híjole, when that happened, I was like, okay. I remember I got in there. The judge started speaking and boom, I started speaking. Simultaneously. Judge was speaking. I was He was speaking in English. I was speaking in Spanish. Another, another defendant, same thing. Here we go. Boom, 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 boom. Back to back, back to back. And I remember that the judge said, how, how do you do it? I was like, I don't know. It's just the way my brain works. And so the court staff was like, Cynthia, this is, this is amazing that you can do that. So they got me in contact with another interpreter and, you know, and so I was like, okay, maybe I'm not meant to be an attorney. Maybe I'm not meant to go to law school. And this is where I need to be. 
So I got in contact with her and, um, I, I was, I'm, I've always been the type of person that if I'm going to do something, I need to learn it the right way. No me voy a lanzar al panzazo, la se va, right? So that's what I did. I wanted to learn how to do it the right way because I learned then that there was a lot of self-taught interpreters and I didn't even know that that was a thing, right? Um, I didn't even know that, hey, just because you speak English and Spanish, you're automatically considered an interpreter. That's a self-taught interpreter. No idea. <laughs> now now, now I do. Now we all do, right? So no idea that that's what it was. And so I went, I finished my, my practicum, my, my, my services, and I went to back to school. And then an opportunity presented itself. And this opportunity was to go to the National Center for Interpretation at the University of Arizona. Uh, this was brought um, this was brought up by one of my linguistics professors because you know after I finished my paralegal degree, I went back to school and I did um, I double majored in English and Spanish linguistics, and so my linguistics professor was like, "Hey, there's a program out there." you know, this, I think you'd be a great fit. Let's get you a recommendation. And I thought, Nambre, who's going to want me? Right. I was like, okay, that bueno. Well, callate, I get accepted. I remember I go and I ask the judge for a letter of recommendation. He was more than ecstatic and happy to give me that recommendation. The court staff, um, they were like, wow, Cindy, like they call me Cindy Littlefoot, Cynthia. I respond to anything. Right. And I was like, yeah, like this is, this is great. Pues I was the only Texan accepted and to that program. They only accept 70 students throughout the year. And I was one of the youngest at the time to be accepted into the program. And I remember when I got the letter of acceptance, I went and I showed it to my mom. And by this time, you know, I was no longer 16 years old, right? I had told her, Ama, I'm going to go. Ya no me van a poder decir que no. Porque ahora ya soy mayor de edad. Ya, usted ya me ha enseñado cómo ser una mujer, cómo ser independiente, cómo ser trabajadora. Ahora necesito que hacerlo. And... I went to a state donde no conocía a nadie, um, didn't know anybody, um, beautiful sunsets, by the way. God, I'm so in love with Arizona. And here I am again in an all-white area, and I'm the only Mexican. Got a piercing you've been thinking about or just itching for a new tattoo? It's July. That means specials at Presidential Inc. In honor of their founding fathers, Adam and Crystal's birthdays, they're running some deals for you guys. Crystal will be running two for $33 piercings on everything above the waist all month long. Dermal implants are $65 or two for $90 and general piercings are $100. 
On the tattoo side, they got $30 business card size names and over a hundred plus flash designs for you to choose from, all ranging from $20 to $60. There will be a $5 setup fee for flash tattoos and additional $10 charge for anything on the hands, neck, feet, and face. If you'd like to see any of those images or any other details, go ahead and follow them on Facebook and Instagram under Presidential Ink and Body Modification. In honor of the 4th, they will also be increasing their military discount from 10% to 15% for all veterans and active duty members. They're located on the south side of San Antonio off I-35 and South Cross. The address is 1419 Commercial Avenue Enter at Suite 11. Also, keep out a lookout for their grand opening on their new and permanent location coming by the end of the month. So just to kind of take all of that in. So it's like a, a full circle again. So you're finding yourself back in the position where you're feeling like that little girl again being in an all predominant white um was it like neighborhood was it like city like and, and having to be like no i belong here so take me a little bit into that so i remember you know getting to my apartment i drove a truck you know because we girl us girls texans we look good in trucks right so era lo que yo manejaba este and i remember getting there parking in my spot you know going to the um going to my apartment um, and thank God, you know, God puts people in your life when you need them that you didn't even know. And they become angels. They really do. They become the most beautiful angels. And um, God had placed the meadows in my life, in my path to be able to get me to Arizona. And to this day, I'm so thankful for them. Um. So they helped me get to Arizona and make that long drive with me. Let me tell you, it was a two-day drive. Um, and then from there, they, you know, they went on their way. And so, particularly, one instance, I was, I went to go, you know, I was, I'm, I've always been the type of person that I don't like to use GPS because I like to know where I am, you know, by landmarks, kind of get situated and like, okay, I know where I'm at now. If I turn a right here, me voy a perder, but if I go this way, you know. So that's what I was doing that day before my first classes started. And I got off my, my truck, I closed it or whatever, and I was walking to my apartment. So there was this lady who says, a white lady, me dice, oh, hi, you must be the gardener's daughter. And I was like, no. I am not the gardener's daughter, but you know what? Thank you for pointing it out. He is such an amazing individual and he's so friendly. I'm actually a student here at the university and I'm your neighbor. You Mexicans also go to school and we're pretty educated too. You should give yourself some time and get to know him. Super friendly. And se quedó callada la señora. I was going to say, she must have been like, oh, shit. Yes, literally, oh, shit. Like, crap, ¿verdad? And I went about my own merry own way. And, you know, we went to school from 7 in the morning to 7 at night. Oh, it was, boot camp was an understatement. 
And I remember one of the classes, oh my gosh, it was my favorite. I'm going to get so excited. One of, my, one of the classes was taboo Spanish. Mm. I know it sounds crazy, right? So I remember, este, and I say it was one of my favorites because I was like, oh, plus I have the, the teacher at home. Taboo, you know, bad, bad words, you name it. I had the teacher at home, my dad. <laughs> You're like, I, I'm gonna ace oh, I'm going to ace this class. <laughs> and so, you know, all of a sudden, the, the professor, say, you know, he pulls out a light bulb. And he says, ¿Cómo se le llama esto? And there was people from all over the world, literally. Había personas de Chile, de Argentina, de Colombia, de Perú, de all over. Y había una... You know, all you, you there. Were, I remember there was um, just people blurting out what it was from where they're they're from. Una inyección, un bombillo. I was like, whoa, 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 una inyección. Where I'm from, that's an injection. That 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 has a needle, and that's that goes you know on your nalgas somewhere with antibiotics. I don't know about you, pero yo soy eso es un poco. You know, and that's where I learned that. Sabes qué? You don't know Spanish like you thought you did. With that, I can totally relate because coming from California, our Spanish, I don't know if it's just like because I grew around um, a lot of people that are like either slang or, or um, my grandparents taught us proper Spanish, I guess you can say. So when people here, when I, we moved here and they would say like, um, I can't even think of it, a word, like just their Parquear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like their Spanish is so different. And um, I think it was so funny because the reason why I stopped really speaking Spanish in public was because at church, um, they would always tell me like, or they'll tell my mom, like, her Spanish is so proper. Like, I love listening to it. So it would make me feel so embarrassed. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to stand out. So, um, so it's just crazy to see that, like, really, truly, you don't fully know Spanish because Spanish in, in so many different countries, it, so many things are um, labeled differently. Um, so to be able to sit in a classroom where you literally can be looking at the same thing and you all call it something different, how was that to take in for you? Like, did you automatically feel like, okay, I'm feeling so out of place? Or were you like, okay, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to learn completely everything from A to B. I was like, holy shit. I don't know Spanish like I thought I did. Um, but that's where my inner child, you know, my inner little Cynthia was like, you're going to work hard and you're going to learn. And remember, you learn it the proper way because there's always more than one way to say it. And there's many different quote unquote proper ways. It just depends who you're saying it to. That's what I learned there. That it can be proper porque es la Real Academia Española lo dice. But in reality, una persona de Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, that's their, you know, whatever they say, that's how it is going to be proper for them. I'm from Texas. Y'all like born and raised Texan and the Spanish that I learned, yo lo aprendí las novelas with my babysitter, right? So, and it's just crazy. So I remember I saw all these older people who spoke such 
beautiful Spanish. And I remember to me, it, it was just like, I just wanted them to continue to speak because I felt the same way I felt when I was a little girl watching those novelas. Like, it's just so beautiful. It was music to my ears. I've always had a love for language, a passion for language. And I was like, man, I may not be able to speak it correctly, but I'm going to try and I'm going to work hard. And I did. That's exactly what I did. I made some of the, the most amazing friendships I've ever had have been when I was in interpreting school. Because I can tell you now, I have long life friendships that are now in, they, they live in Chicago, they live in California, they live, you know, in Puerto Rico, you name it, they live all over. And after I finished there, I come back to Texas. Oh, sweet Texas. <laughs> Don't we just love thee? Because Texas is a nation in its own, right? <laughs> Texas was like, okay, great. You have this national certification. And guess what? Uh, you need the state of Texas certification. Thank you very much. I was like, are you flipping kidding me? I just went to a whole other state, learned some of the toughest strategies. And I learned that there's different modes of interpretation and there's interpreters and there's translators because interpreting is oral, you know, ver verbally speaking and translation is written. Now I have to come and educate you guys on that too? Okay. Well, that's when teaching found me. So now getting into you coming back and into your teachings, I... I really love this part because I feel like that's where I see your passion come from whenever you talk about your kiddos. So um, kind of take me back into those times for you. Just a heads up, you might get the Kleenex on this one. <laughs> and the reason why I say it is because, so here I am coming back to the state, right? Coming back to Texas. And in my heart, and I've and here I come from the judicial settings. Everything's either black or white. There's no in between. There's no gray area. Well, I come into teaching, and holy shit, there's a lot of gray area and different shades of it too. I was like, what the heck did I get myself into? Um, my very first class, eran tremendo santo. It was the refreshment. <laughs> They were freshmen, and I was, I mean, I was still young. Este, they would make fun of me. They would make fun of me because I would wear boots, right? I would, I would wear boots, and I remember one time they were like, hey, miss, 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 there's a little kid at the elementary crying. Oh, my gosh, why? Why are they crying? Because they said that somebody stole their boots. What do you mean somebody stole their boots? And the kid spit on his hand and hit me on my boot, and I was like, are you serious right now? That's how bad they were. <laughs> how bad they were parecían changuitos i mean it, let me tell you that my patients i thought i was patient before oh heck no i learned patience that year porque eran bien ocurrentes bien 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 ocurrentes but it is what it is right teaching was never never in my wildest dreams it wasn't even a plan b for me Ever. It just 
land yeah it just happened and it just landed on my lap and i was just like oh gosh okay well i guess so i remember when uh one of the first years that i taught um seniors i remember walking in i was a spanish teacher and i was like okay i can be a spanish teacher because i'm a linguist right so you know it goes hand in hand I learned very quickly that Spanish classes are not the same as being linguist. In my eyes, you need to learn language through sounds instead of straight into grammar, straight into writing, and straight into reading. Oye, pues como chingas quieres que aprendan, you know? So that's what, that was my mentality. So going back to that senior class, I remember I walked in and they said, all right, miss, when are you going to leave us? And I said, well, what do you mean? Yeah, every single teacher we've had always ends up leaving. So how long are you going to be here before you leave? And I remember telling them, no, you're not going to have that with me. I promise you, I give you my word. I'm going to stay. That same week, I get a call. Hey, you know, we saw your application. We'd like for you to come on board. And I was like, Holy mother of grell, this is my dream job as an interpreter. And I remember I spoke to the principal. I'm like, hey, you know, I got a call. Um, this is a great opportunity, X, Y, and Z. And they're like, it's up to you. But I said, you know what? I can't. I was like, I gave the kids my word I wouldn't leave. And I gave up a dream job because my word to my kids was meant everything to me and to them. I think that's very big because I think teachers have such a beautiful, like you really have to have a big heart for it. Huge. Teaching, teaching is not for the fucking week. It's, it's not, not for the week. <laughs> and it's also not for somebody that doesn't have compassion or empathy for people. And and so just to hear you say that, you know, because you gave them your word that you weren't going to leave, like that makes me so emotional because it just goes to show how much love goes into being a teacher and how much love goes into, you know, each individual child that you're teaching and so just to kind of um talk about that a little bit how was your senior class like how was it with them like did you really see for yourself that teaching was really what you were meant to do honestly they were the kids that didn't they look mexicanos you know they were hispanic but didn't speak any spanish And I took it upon myself and I was like, no, you will leave this class speaking Spanish. If, I don't care if you don't learn how to write it or read it, but you will speak it. Um, and mission accomplished, right? When you receive messages from the parents that say, hey, Miss Flores, my son um, read today in church in Spanish. Or you receive another message saying, I was able to hold a conversation with my grandparents. Aww. You know, and I get emotional because I didn't have my grandparents, right? 
And to be able to know that I was a small little impact and I was, I made a difference in somebody's life and I gave them that same passion that I have for language and for learning so that they can be able to communicate with their grandparents. I was like, you know what? De aquí soy yo. And I became a teacher by day and an interpreter by night. And I was like, I, I, I need to stay here. I need to continue to teach children and teach younger generations the true value in the culture, the true value in language to be able to communicate and take pride in the fact that you speak Spanish. And my teacher hat and my interpreter hat. The kids, I say the kids and I say my kids. Because the um, first day of school, every year, I would tell them, you are my kids until you leave. And even if you graduate, you're still my kids. You will always be my kids. God has not blessed me with any kids at that time. And you will always be my kids. No matter what you need, no matter where you're at, you need help. Hey, sabes que? I can help. What do you need? I became their advocate. I was... They were with me for, you know, so many hours. I was a second mom. Um, and to many of my kids, my maldositos, que eran bien canijos, um, they would only accept redirection from me. They would not accept redirection from all the other teachers. And I remember one, you know, Sanchez. Ay, mijo. He would say, ¿sabe qué, jefa? A usted sí me puede hablar así. A usted sí le hago caso. And why I feel because I was real with my kids from day one. Mm -hmm. And that's what kids need. That's what my kids needed. They needed to know that they were loved, but that they were going to have a safe place where they can be themselves, but at the same time in a safe learning environment. You were going to, I wore the confident hat. So I wore the confident hat um, and I was very, very straight in the sense of I was a very, very strict with them. Um, I was the type of teacher that tough love. If you were going to, if you were going to go to Flores, then you better know that she's going to give it to you straight. She's not going to sugarcoat it. And I would always tell my kids, I'm like, okay, which version do you want? Do you want the Flores way or do you want the nice way? No, miss. Give me the Flores way. Um, I, I became their counselor. Um, I, I had students that, you know, younger kids that they were still not in my classroom that made a rumor. <laughs> they made a rumor that I was in the military. And they're like, no, miss, you must have been in the military because you're so strict. <laughs> and hey, but if that worked, then let them. Este, and it was because I came from a very black and white, you know, judicial settings where everything's so proper. Everything has to be, you know, done correctly. You do it once. You don't, there's no, no, yeah, fix. there's no time to fix it. You know, you can't go back. And I carried that in that discipline into education. I carried that discipline and how I carried myself. And, um, I wore many hats after that. I became 
um, head volleyball coach. And my girls will tell you, I was very strict. But you know what? It was the discipline that got my girls where they needed to be. I was uh, department chair. I was um, content grade leader and organizing, you know, big trips for kids. And it was until I became content lead, no, I'm sorry, uh, grade team leader for the 10th grade that that's where La Jefa was born. Um, that's where I was given that name by a coworker, my coworker, um, Marco, you know, he's no longer a teacher, but you know, when we were teaching, um, he's like, you're, you're like a jefa, like, you know, you, you stand and you're like, you demand presence. You stand in like the kids know the kids can be acting up a ruckus, but as soon as you walk into that room, you can hear a pin needle drop. And it was true. Yo nada más con la pura mirada. Y ya sabían. And so that carried on. I mean, I've gotten to teach all the way from fourth grade to college freshman. And I will say this, the hardest one for me was fourth grade. <laughs> they tested my patience with baby shark. And, but they were so loving, right? Um, and it was until I, I was teaching and then my former students started, you know, they were graduating from high school. They were having their children and they were already teaching alongside of me, asking me, Hey, Ms. Flores, I remember you doing this a certain way. Um, how teach me how to do it or show me how to do it. Show me how to teach like you that I knew I was like, okay, it's time to hang the gloves. Um, pero la verdad, I never realized I could do it. Um, but the kids, my kids, my kids grew on me. Um, the hardest part for me teaching was losing the kids. Knowing that when I was calling row, you were going to see them there, right? Somebody was going to say, presente. But knowing also that one of them was going to be missing because, you know, life happens. Um, I've never felt so, I don't even know what the word is, but like a piece of my heart was gone, um, until I attended my, my kids, my students' funerals. That for me, I said, I never realized I could hold so much love for my kids until I had to attend some of their funerals. Oh, Fern, you have me here crying with you. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I am. It's good to hear because, as a parent, obviously that has kids going to school, it's beautiful to know that there are teachers there that love their kids so much, and and that's what you know us as parents want, obviously, because they do truly become like a second parent to them. So, with you know, losing your some of your students, was that something that made you say, like, I, I can't do this anymore? Actually, that fueled me even more, if that makes any sense. I learned then that I was just a small little impact in their life. Um, one of my 
kids in particular who passed, before he passed, he had actually reached out to me um, and asked me for a letter of recommendation. And I said, of course. And he said, miss, uh, miss, and he said, I remember him saying, uh, jefa, I know you have the connects. I know you have the contacts. I know you have it. I want to go to military school. Uh, but I need a letter of recommendation. I said, yes, mijo, of course you can have it. I finished that letter of recommendation. I wasn't able to give it to him. Um, I remember attending his funeral and seeing his mom, you know, just devastated. You know, you lose a child. I felt like I was in her shoes. I felt like I had lost my kid too, right? And I didn't get to give him the letter of recommendation, but I did give it to his mom. And she she knew who I was. I didn't know. She knew who I was. Um, she was when I taught her son, he she was not in the picture at that at that time. But I didn't know that her son would speak to her, like, hey, you know, mi maestra, you know, Miss Flores and Miss Flores this and Miss Flores that and Miss Flores and Miss Flores. And she expressed to me that he had he was very fond of me you know he he appreciated me so much because gracias a Miss Flores you know he was able to get out of some you know pretty bad things that he was in or whatever and you know kind of redirect his life a bit and to hear that from from his mom it just made me realize you know what you're a small impact. You're a very small impact, but you're leaving a mark in people's lives. And to be quite honest, all the teaching moments and trials and tribulations that I had gone through in my life to that moment, I realized that the most valuable one was the legacy and the imprint in a person's life that I would leave behind if I were to die tomorrow. People would remember because of the small impact I made in their life or because of the advice I gave them because I, I went through something I was able to share with them. And that's what teaching gave me. Teaching helped me as a, um, a coping mechanism with even my own traumas growing up as a child. Okay, we all took a little break because that was <clears throat> that was a little little hard. Um, my friend, um, traumas. Bringing up traumas, I know that that must be very hard, especially you know because you you're trying to find a way to heal from your traumas, and then you're also taking on that hat of helping your kids through their, you know, traumas that they're dealing with in current time. So take me a little bit into that. Like, how was that for you? At the time, I didn't realize that they were changing. 
as much as they were changing me. I didn't realize how much I would be learning and teaching like they taught me. They taught me, my kids taught me to be open-minded, be, have an open heart. Um, because coming from, like I said, I had come from a judicial standpoint where it was black or white. I didn't realize I had a little bit of right in my heart. And my kids changed me. My heart grew so big. And I understood why they say teachers wear their hearts on their sleeves. Because somos puro amor en ese sentido. Pero a la vez somos a veces madre y padres. Um, I had some of my kids who lost their parents very young. So they had to look on to their teachers as the mother figure, as the father figure that they didn't have. And so um, I could relate to some students whenever, you know, there was, they were going through any type of abuse, um, whether it be sexual abuse, whether it be um, verbal abuse, emotional abuse at home or, or where they were at. I had kids who were in foster. Um, I even had some kids, all, um, some of my kids tell me, miss, can you adopt me? No. I, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, gosh, I can't, I'm too, at that time I was still young, right? I was like, man, I'm, I'm still too young to adopt. But, you know, and get the poder ayudar, what do you need? How can I be of service? I felt that all of that was helping myself heal from my traumas, but past traumas as a child, because I was being of service. Later, I remember, not remember, but I later on as, now, knowing now what I didn't know then, is that as a person who goes through traumas, that is um, a characteristic of ours, is that we're always trying to help others. Uh, we're always trying to be the better person, right? Um, and help. How can I service you? Um, I thought that was just who I was, who I am, right? Not knowing then that it was part of trauma yeah. right it's it's your it's your way of responding i i feel like um i'll speak for myself in that sense that i always try to be the person that i wish i would exactly have yes around whether that's um just to be a listening ear or just to you know be there to um you know hold you when you cry or like I feel like I totally can relate to that because it, that's just, I always thought that's just because that's who I am. That's who you are, right? And and you don't realize it until you start going through a healing journey that it all makes sense. So on that topic, how did your healing journey start, friend? My healing journey was one of a lot of self-reflection. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it started from having 
a baby, uh, having a high risk pregnancy, being on bed rest in the midst of a pandemic and, um, traumatic birth experience because I didn't want to have a C-section and I did, um, not knowing, you know, again, the, the unknown and the unknown is very scary for anybody. Um, and that finding out I was having a girl opened up Pandora's box. So I'm already scared. I'm already on the, you know, on the defense, on the edge, like, oh man, I'm going to have to teach my daughter how to be strong and how to defend herself and, you know, how to defend herself from any predators, especially predators, how to, you know, recognize the signs, recognize somebody's looking at her in a way that she shouldn't be looked at or, you know, all these red flags, you know, start coming up and Pandora's box opened. Um, and just this recent, um, in October of this year, I lost my brother and it's hard for me because I wasn't able to say goodbye properly, but I was able to see him when he was in good health. And the image I have is he was able to hold my daughter who resembles him, you know, her side profile resembles him. And, um, so that happened in October. I fell into even more depression from postpartum depression already. Right. I didn't realize how long postpartum depression can last. You know, my daughter's about to be three here in September and I was still going through that. And then going, you know, a, a larger hit, you know, losing, uh, my brother, I'm losing the brother that I was the closest to. You know, the one who would pick me up from school because I was being suspended for speaking Spanish. Um, it was it was a very hard hit, hard hit. And I started to feel like I was falling into a whirlpool and I couldn't get out and I couldn't get out. Um, that's where I said, you know what? I can't stay here. No me puedo quedar aquí. No soy yo. I started listening to podcasts. I started reading books. Um, and I came upon your podcast. I came upon um, Confidence Feels Like Shit by Erica Kramer. And holy shit, it does feel like shit. And just listening to, you know, one of your episodes where you're talking about childhood traumas and, you know, losing someone and, and things like all of that. It was like, I need to start. I need to start my healing journey because I need to be a better version of myself for my daughter. I need to be a better version of myself so that Mija has a better version mom 2.0. You know, a better version Mama Flores 2.0. Because my kids got a good version of Mama Flores. But Mija now needs a 2.0 because by now I've already gone through so much pain so much, you know, mending that I needed to do that we as parents, now I know loss, losing pregnancies before her, even more, I, I felt more broken than I ever did before, to be honest.
it's crazy how now having a child right opens like you say pandora's box because it it honestly does it it, it triggers you and all of those emotions of like okay now i have this little person that's a part of me that i need to protect that i have no you know sometimes you're not gonna have control over what happens or where she's around so and then she's a girl so i can just imagine that's like 10 times worse right um getting through your healing journey or like not getting through it obviously because you're still on that journey you started glam heffa so talk a little bit about that yes i i started glam heffa and that actually came from losing my brother i needed to find an outlet an outlet to help me put all that hurt all that pain i was feeling into something and create something beautiful and that's what my first collection was my first collection was each trauma each healed mended trauma turned into something that shines so beautifully something that when worn you're going to turn heads because i want it to turn my pain into something gorgeous that I could wear as a crown, but not as a crown of pain, a crown of, I got through this. I was, I, I made it to the finish line. I might, I'm starting to see light at the end of the tunnel and that shining rhinestone for me indicates I'm almost there. I might not be where I want to be, but I'm getting there. And to be honest, I just started designing and each design was more intricate than the last one. And each design was, you know, more elaborate and intricate and more sparkly. And my husband was like, Hey, you need to start toning it down. And I remember you know, he walked into my office telling me, hey, you need to tone it down. Those, that's too much. I turned around, I looked at him and I gave him, you know, that side eye, like, ¿Y quién chingas te preguntó? <laughs> you know, um, I was like, no, you don't understand. Each hat, I can tell you what podcast I was listening to, what book I was reading, what verse of the Bible I was reading, what book, what you know, what song? Because to me, that's another thing. And when I was not able, growing up, I was never able to put things into words on how I felt. I used music. And so, you know, I, I joined orchestra and I was a violinist. And that, that became something, a part of me. And so that was an outlet for me. Music, music has always been an outlet. I used to love to dance and, and I, 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 I still do. Um, and that was an outlet, but now my outlet is designing. My outlet is seeing my beautiful creations 
on another heifer like me and seeing how beautiful they look as they stand tall and firme, knowing that, hey, I might be going through shit right now, but you know what? Ahorita, I'm going to give myself the present time. I'm going to give myself the time right now, and I'm going to rejoice in this moment and just feel beautiful with their beautiful hats on. I will say you're not lying because when you gifted my hat, first of all, that's the first hat I've ever had because I always have thought, like, I do not look good at hands. <laughs> and so um, I remember, um, you know, you gifting me my hat and it's stunning. It's beautiful. It has like all these beautiful rhinestones and, and jewels on it. And it's, of course, my favorite color. Um, and I wore it for my very first, um, I guess you can say like, um, it was a networking event, but where I had speakers and I remember wearing it and everybody was like, oh my God, you look so good in a hat. Where'd you get it? Like, you just, you just look like such a heifa and this and that and blah, blah. And for a minute, I was just like, do I? You know, because I'm I'm not used to feeling like that. I'm not. I'm used to being like I don't want to. You don't want the attention. I don't want the attention. But I can honestly say that wearing your hat definitely brought in that confidence where it's like, yeah, I am a heifa. <laughs> like, I'm I'm gonna walk around and and, and own feel, it. Own it. Yeah. Be very um you know confident in it. So I can definitely say that your hats do project what you put into it. Thank you. That means the world to me because that's my prayer. I, you know, as I'm designing, I'm I'm listening, I'm I'm praying. And before I even deliver a hat, you know, I have a um I guess like a routine, I guess you could call is I pray over the hat. I pray that, you know, God give you the strength no matter what you're going through. Because if he was able to give me the strength get through what I was going through and continue at whatever part of my life, I want that same thing for whoever ends up being an owner of Glond Hepa hats because they're one of a kind. They're exclusive. I do not repeat the designs because it's unique, but most importantly, I don't repeat it because that's already something I already healed. That's the reason why I don't repeat the designs. That that is so beautiful because that makes owning one of your hats even more special. And of course, I keep mine away from my boys because <laughs> some tremendos. And so I I definitely now have an even more bigger appreciation for it because it's like now I know it was not only gifted for me with love but it, you also put in you know a little touch of a prayer for me on it and then it's a part of you that you were able to you know heal from so that's just so awesome that you're able to share that and if you guys haven't go check out her stuff and go buy yourself a hat because trust me you guys need at least one of them in your collection 
it'll change the way you your wardrobe you know you stand a little taller Mm -hmm. and and i've been told i feel like i stand a little taller yes girl own it eso es exactamente corazón own it feel that confidence because a lot of the times when we're going through healing of any kind we don't feel confident we feel like shit but feeling like shit is okay and it's normal i just pray that you feel confident when you wear it and you feel like the beautiful gorgeous woman we all are we all have that in us and it's just a matter of a little bit aunque sea como decía mi you know mi abuela que en paz descanse lipstick y mi papá siempre me dijo con una buena chaqueta y un buen sombrero entras donde quiera así nosotras con un lipstick y un buen sombrero entramos donde quiera yes Okay, let me just add in there. I'm so sorry that my laptop keeps going off. Um, if you guys don't know what it's like to have boys, they're super <laughs> freaking annoying. Um, Joey keeps texting me. He wanted me to mention him on the podcast. <laughs> Saludos, corazoncito, Joey. <laughs> Joey, stop texting me. <laughs> I'm working. Um, but just to just to kind of go back into our conversation what is one thing that you would want women to know or anybody to know that purchases a hat from you that's going through a hard time or that finds themselves in a place where you were where you're like i need something to find as an outlet or you know, just, just to start their healing journey. What would you tell somebody? It's not easy to start. That's the hardest part. But if you begin and you get on that starting line and you cross it, you're already winning. Because that's the hardest part. The hardest part is starting. Yes. And the even hardest part is admitting, hey, I need to start healing, right? But... I just, I honestly, my best advice I can give is it's not the material things that are going to make us happy, quote unquote, right? It's what we make of those life-changing moments that happen to us at one time or another, whether it be when we were young, whether it be while we were growing up, whether it be in motherhood, whether it be entrepreneurship, because, oh my God, there's a lot to learn. But it's those life-changing moments that are going to allow us to be a better version of ourselves. And if we allow ourselves to be a better version of ourselves, can you imagine how much more of a difference and a better world we can live in if people would just allow themselves to heal from whatever traumas they have? A lot of the times, people can be rude and people can be mean but because we don't know their stories. We don't know what they're going through. If we can be an example and start our own healing journey for others and inspire others to begin their healing journey, that, ya la llevamos de ganancia. I definitely agree with you. I think that 
you know, I, I feel like starting my healing journey, I have a sense of like understanding people more. Like, I feel like, okay, so-and-so is this way, but maybe it's because they've gone through something or they're going through something and that's just how they are right now. Or um, not to, like, excuse bad behavior right, either. Right, of course. But I always find myself telling myself, you don't know their story and you don't know. You don't if, know what you don't know. Yeah, and you don't know if they have even begun to scratch the surface the yeah. surface of it yes so i i feel like that's why it my mindset has changed because i i started my healing journey i i see people differently and even though um not everybody is my cup of tea i still give them genuine support or love because i'm like okay you may not be for me but i'm still gonna respect you i'm just gonna have to like not be you know, around you or whatever the case may be. And I feel like um, that's definitely something that I highly suggest and recommend for everybody starting their healing journey to be compassionate and, and have that mindset of, like, you don't know what you don't know. Like yeah, you don't. Let me ask you, what is one thing, and I tend to ask everybody this that comes on, what is one thing that you want people to take from this episode that they don't know about you or something that you want to share with them because again social media has us all thinking that everybody's a certain way but it just it's just a picture it's just a video so what is something that you would want somebody to know about you something to know about me is that I am very, 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 very open in the sense of I will share my healing journey. I will more than gladly help in whether, which way I can, um, whether it's a collaboration, whether I don't know it all. I'm literally a rookie in the game when it comes to entrepreneurship. I will say that. But whenever I have the opportunity to share my life experiences, what I've experienced in life or what I've experienced in, you know, being a rookie in entrepreneurship, the learning curves, um, how, you know, you'll come, you'll meet a lot of gatekeepers, but just like you meet a lot of gatekeepers, you're going to meet a lot of people like me, like you that will share their plethora of knowledge to see others grow, to see others bloom in their business. Um, I didn't realize, or I never knew I could be a businesswoman in that aspect, but my healing journey has taken me to be one now and I have to embrace it. And with embracing it comes a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of learning curves. And just when you think that you know everything, you don't never feel and never think that you know everything there's always room for growth there's always room for learning and there will always always be room to be a better version of yourself no matter at what point in your life you are 
Social media presents a version that people want others to project or that want others to think that they are. I try to be very honest. I try to, you know, tell you, hey, I'm circle shape and I love it. That's confidence. If you're not confident in yourself, how do you expect for other people to be confident in your product? How do you expect other people to be confident and wanting to purchase from you or buy from you if you're not confident yourself? I say confidence. Have a confidence in yourself. Have a confidence in your pricing. Heck, that is something I struggle with. But you know what? You know your stuff. You know what you're doing. You know the value that you're giving to your product. Don't allow what they call, quote unquote, imposter syndrome. I don't believe in imposter syndrome. I don't believe in that. Reason why is because I'm not an imposter. I know my shit. I know what I know. And I know that whatever I do is going to make a difference. So how does that make me an imposter? There's no such thing. For me, no existe. I absolutely love it. Everything, everything about your story. I, I, I just, it's just so wonderful to just be able to share it with everybody because it, it just makes an impact on me as well. Like, you know, to see that there's so many women that go through the same thing, um, that are on the same journey of finding, you know, peace within themselves, finding confidence or like even dealing with life's redirection because, you know, life, life happens, might, life happens <laughs> and you might think you have it all planned now, but God or, or, you know, the universe, whatever it is that you believe in always has a like, uh-uh, hold on, <laughs> we're not there yet. Look, bro. Yeah. <laughs> As my kids would say. Yeah. Um. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and just being able to share part of your story. Like, I know I can sit here and talk to you for <laughs> hours and go into so many different things, you know, and I hope to have you back. Um, and I hope that uh, I was able to, you know, give you a little, you know, safe space to, to really, you know, tap into some things and, and share your story with others. And I hope that um, you were able to inspire and motivate somebody today and um, yeah thank you so much friend um, if you guys haven't already make sure you guys follow us on social media you can find us at HEPA Talk and then I'll let Cynthia let you know where you can follow her and connect with her so you can find me on social media uh, Instagram uh, Glammed Hefa, and on Facebook Glammed Hefa. And uh, yo soy su servidora, Cynthia Flores Vios, um, para lo que se les ofrezca. I, I am here. Um, whether if you want a listening here, I'm here too. You want a hat, I can help you. You want a collab, let's do it. You know, si crecemos una, crecemos todas. I love that friend. Well, thank you so much for coming and, and spending the day with me. And, you know, thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to listen into our episode. And I hope to see you guys next time.